jam-packed show with plenty to talk about this morning. Joining us to discuss the Alberta versus BC pipeline battle is the Globe and Mail's Gary Mason, followed by BC Liberals leader Andrew Wilkinson, and then we'll have BC Green Party leader Andrew Weaver on. We'll finish off the show chatting with the University of the Fraser Valley political science professor Amish Telford. Accountable to you. This is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford for Kamloops Computer Center on Radio NL. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. Well, what a time to be alive. Who would have thought BC and Alberta would both be governed by the NDP and that then those two governments would go to absolute war with each other? We thought we had something of a simmering truce in the pipeline battle until yesterday when in her province's throne speech, Alberta Premier Rachel Notley threatened to expand its fight with this province over the Trans Mountain Pipeline by reducing the amount of oil her province ships. She raised the specter of threats made by former Alberta Premier Peter Lougheed back in 1980 to cut oil experts in his then fight with Ottawa over the National Energy Program with Trudeau Sr. Here's a little of what Rachel Notley had to say yesterday. If their efforts are to, in fact, harass investors, launch frivolous lawsuits, or wage a war of attrition against the pipeline, Alberta must have the ability to respond. As such, as said in the throne speech, we will not hesitate to invoke similar legislation as Premier Lougheed did if such a thing becomes necessary. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, Pleasure to be joined on the phone by the Global Mail's Gary Mason to discuss all this. Gary, how are you? Good morning, Shane. Good morning. Uh, so you have a foot in both of those worlds. You covered politics uh, here and in Alberta. Uh, your thoughts on the sort of latest volley in the throne speech yesterday? Well, I think that, um, uh, I think two things. I, I think that Notley, I mean, this is this is great politics for Notley because all this tough talk, the, the boycott, I mean, it's playing really well in, in her province. Mm. And, uh, um, and and, and uh, so I mean I think her her approval numbers are, are are up. So I mean there's that. The other factor is Shane that she's being sort of egged on a little bit by Jason Kenney, the United Conservative Party leader. In fact, uh, it was Kenney who who first raised this idea of restricting oil um, uh, exports to you know through British Columbia to British Columbia. Did that about a week ago. So he's now suggesting that Notley was stealing his idea. Uh, that may be the case, but uh, nonetheless, uh, those two factors are kind of at, at play here. And, uh, you know, anytime a political leader uh, appears like they're standing up for their province against a, a perceived wrong, uh, it's, it's, it always, it's always good politics. And uh, we've seen a history of British Columbia leaders, for instance, uh, you know, sort of starting fights with Ottawa, uh, and, and that's always played well, too. So I, I think a lot of this is just pure politics, Shane. Yeah, uh, so basically we wouldn't be seeing this level of angst uh, if she were not sort of tiptoeing towards a provincial election with Jason Kenney breathing down her neck. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Jason Kenney is a huge factor here. He's an extremely, extremely skilled politician. He knows exactly how to, I mean, that's all he does, is he's just been a politician pretty much all his life. Um, so he knows how to play this game very well, and uh, he's really forcing Rachel Notley, probably uh, moving her out of her natural comfort zone. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, Shane, to be honest with you, when when uh, Jason Kenney was you know, still running for the leadership of that party, that uh, Rachel Notley was deriding him and, and kind of castigating him for some of his uh, tough talk against British Columbia. And now she's the person who's kind of adopted all that uh, rhetoric herself. So you can say that Jason Kenney is, is you know, even even though he's not in the premier's chair, he's, he's, a, he's a 
playing a major role in this whole fight. Well, I guess that raises the specter then, Gary. I mean, we're we're inching closer to a provincial election in Alberta. There's still a, a little bit of time left. Are we going to see more of this ratcheting up of this tough talk and these threats from, from the Premier then? I, I just don't know where how, how much further she can go. I mean, I, I think that... Uh, I think in, in an ideal world, Rachel Notley would love to see this whole thing drag out, you know, uh, you know, until the until the next election in Alberta, without having to do anything as quite as draconian as uh, you know, restarting re- restricting the flow of oil to, to British Columbia. I mean, the, the thing that we don't know, for instance, Shane. I mean, what if the courts render a verdict here that's against Alberta? I mean, she could hardly punish British Columbia for a decision that the courts make. I mean. Mm. The appeal court in the in the reference matter that the British Columbia is going to take to to them uh, over jurisdiction. I mean, if it rules in British Columbia's favor, well, then it's probably going to be appealed undoubtedly to the Supreme Court of Canada, and that's going to drag this process on for a while longer yet. But it's just that's the thing I don't I don't see where she goes around that. I mean, if it's the courts that make the decision, not a political leader, she can hardly take that out on on British Columbia or the rest of Canada. And if she chooses to try and turn the taps off or shut down BC wine exports, uh, that too, I imagine, will be challenged in courts under the various free trade programs that govern trade between our provinces. Yeah, and I don't think anybody thinks it's a good idea. I mean, even the even the oil producers in in Calgary don't like this idea at all. And uh, you know, and then and then what is going to happen? I mean, then is British Columbia going to retaliate and and start, you know cut off the shipment of fruits and vegetables? <laughs> To Alberta, <laughs> uh, you don't know where this thing is going to go. I, I really think, Shane, that this is mostly rhetoric and and political chatter uh, than a real live threat that's going to be acted on anytime soon. Well, we've talked about uh, Rachel Notley. What does what does John Horgan do in your mind, Gary? I mean, here he is. He's on the receiving end of a lots of bluster and threats and, and whatnot. How how much longer can he afford to sit there and kind of take the high road on this thing? Yeah. Well, I I think that I think. You know, I think British Columbians. Uh, I'm not going to say a majority. I don't. I don't really know because I mean, any polls that I've seen on on the Trans Mountain Pipeline, you know, among British Columbians, it shows the province is almost split down the middle. I mean, if anything, there's I've seen polls that show you know a little bit of a majority support the pipeline. I've seen just the opposite. So, uh, I'm not sure exactly how. Horgan's, you know, what he's been doing is, is playing widely. I mean, obviously among the environmental wing of his party, I mean, they're they're very happy. I mean, Horgan has been kind of forced into this position a little bit by the alliance that, you know, that he has with the Green Party. Yeah. I mean, if you remember the last election, Shane, this, this you know, the Kinder Morgan pipeline was not something that was discussed widely on the campaign trail. Once in a while, he would bring it up, but I don't really think in his heart of hearts John Horgan really wants to stop this pipeline. I mean, if, if, if you took away the politics, if you didn't have to worry about the, the, the Green Party and all that, I, I think he'd say, you know what, there's going to be one more pipeline built in this country. Let's let this be the one and get it done and, and you know, have it over with. And I, I think that's that's what he really believes. But, you know, he's that, he's got a, a lot of other masters now, one, one being Andrew Weaver. And he also has an environment minister in George Heyman who's a bit of a tough guy. And, and I mean, he's a real environmentalist. All, all those people are his friends. And he's probably uh, pushing the premier in that in that direction as well. Yeah. Uh, so if you were a betting man, Gary, what would you say as far as the next shoe to drop in this thing? We're just going to get more bluster from Alberta and, and go on about our merry way or, or, or what? I think we'll probably the next thing that we'll see, the next development will be the question that British Columbia comes up with 
that they plan to take to the courts and you know that will ignite some more fury in, in alberta i'm sure i don't <laughs> i don't think it's going to cause alberta to do anything dramatic i mean they know this is coming um so i i think that that's that's the next thing we're going to be looking for here is is just what's the question what are they asking the courts to decide yeah and uh, i'm assuming i mean we're we know it's going to be about jurisdiction uh on on the cuff you would think that the province wouldn't have much of a leg to stand on when it comes to uh jurisdiction over a federally governed pipeline but is there is there a forum or a faucet of that question gary where they can get some traction I, you know, personally, I don't, I don't see it. Uh, I, I really don't. I'm, I've often thought that the, you know, the, the group that had the best chance of stopping this pipeline through the courts was was an Aboriginal group, uh, you know, because uh, they have won a lot of battles in in court, especially one decisions that have gone to the Supreme Court of Canada. You know, in the last twenty years, I mean, so many of them have gone in favor of Indigenous groups in, in Canada. So I always thought that they had the best chance of stopping the pipeline. The other thing to maybe keep an eye on, Shane, is that, you know, the federal government also has some status in this whole thing, obviously. They could decide to, uh, you know, usurp British Columbia going to the appeal court and go, they could go straight to the uh, Supreme Court of Canada and get this thing dealt with mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot quicker manner. So I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something along those lines in the next uh, month or two. I think everybody's going to wait and see what British Columbia does, the question they, they have, and then I think the, then everybody's going to turn to Alberta and the federal government to see what the, the response is going to be. Yeah, interesting times. Uh, Gary, we're out of time. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. My, my pleasure, Shane. Thank you. There's the Globe and Mail's Gary Mason. Always good to talk to Gary. We'll take a quick break here on Inside Politics on Radio NL. On the other side, we'll be joined by BC Liberals leader Andrew Wilkinson. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. For Kamloops Computer Center. This is Radio NL's Inside Politics. Here's NL News Director Shane Woodford. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. A pleasure to be joined on the phone now by the leader of the B.C. Liberal Party, Andrew Wilkinson. Andrew, good morning and welcome. Good. How are you doing? I am well. You? Good, good. I'm in Vancouver where it's sunny for a change. <laughs> yeah, it's also sunny here, so uh, there we go. Uh, Andrew, we got a lot to talk about, so why don't we dive into this thing. I, I want to pick up a little bit on, uh, on what we were talking about the last segment with Gary Mason. Uh, the throne speech in Alberta leveling a pretty br- blunt threat to this province, uh, essentially saying that uh, that they're willing to turn off the taps in this battle over the Kinder Morgan pipeline. Uh, your reaction to, to this threat from Premier Rachel Notley? Well, both we and the opposition and the government of British Columbia, which is currently the NDP, have to look out for the interests of British Columbians. That's our job. That's what we're elected to do. So it's very distressing when we hear the Alberta government getting that belligerent. And it should be diffused. Uh, This is unnecessary. And I think we turn to the premier of the province, John Horgan, and say, your duty to British Columbians is to defuse this. This isn't the way Canada is supposed to operate. And so what are you going to do to make things better for British Columbians? We do not want any of us $2 a litre gasoline because Alberta gets difficult about this. Now, you can accuse Alberta of being high-handed and arrogant about this. At the end of the day, this uh, whole dispute was triggered by John Horgan and his environment minister, George Heyman, uh, getting out there and saying things that are probably unconstitutional about what they think can be done in British Columbia. And it's a big country, and we've worked well together for 150 years. Don't pick fights you can't win. So in your mind, how does one defuse this? Do you want John Horgan to throw his hands in the air and wave the white flag or, or something else? 
No, it's time for cooler heads to prevail. You know, given where it is right now, I am hoping that the federal senior officials and possibly elected officials are on the phone to Alberta and Victoria right now saying this is not going to be in anybody's interest at the end of the day. And it's unfortunate that we have to have Ottawa step in to be a mediator in this squabble between these two NDP governments. But I'm hoping that's what they're doing, because that should be a role for the federal government to get cooler heads to prevail. Unfortunately, Premier Horgan has dug himself into a bit of a hole here, and he thinks he's going to get out of it by creating years and years of delay with his uh, reference of the issues to the courts. And if you're an Albertan, you're not going to say, well, we're going to see the economy get slowed down nationally because of a five- or six-year delay in getting things through the courts. So I think uh, Premier Horgan tried to uh, get himself out of the wine war a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Rachel Notley downed tools for a while. Now she's picked up her tools and turning them into weapons. And we do not want to see British Columbians get um, compromised or hurt or injured in any way in this. It's time for the whole thing to be resolved, and Premier Horgan needs to take the first step. Okay. Uh, I want to talk to you about some other issues uh, here. Uh, the big, chief among them is this, this speculation tax. Uh, I know that you guys have been hammering the government on that and the payroll health tax and the legislature, but uh, the speculation tax seems to be one that, that uh, has sort of caught fire across the province. Uh, the idea, of course, being, okay, we're going to tame this out-of-control housing market by targeting property speculators, but in doing so, uh, they seem to have targeted uh, you know everybody who seems to have a vacation property uh, you know, uh, you know, grandma and grandpa with that condo in Vancouver or, or what have you. Uh, Andrew, what, can, what is your concern with the tax and what do you want to see done with it? Well, the NDP have this habit of labeling taxes in ways that are politically popular that actually don't reflect what the tax is about. So the employer health tax has nothing to do with health. It's just a revenue grab. And the uh, speculation tax has almost nothing to do with speculation. It's about taxing people's assets. Let's get that crystal clear. And they, for some reason, have exempted Whistler. Perhaps they didn't want to pick a fight with the Americans. But uh, they have included in their tax zone uh, Kelowna, West Kelowna, uh, Metro Vancouver, uh, Victoria, and Nanaimo. And so that means if somebody has a cabin in the Gulf Islands, 2% of its value is going to be charged every year as a property tax. And that adds up real fast, if you think about it. Uh, the classic one is someone has put 20% down and the rest is mortgaged. In 10 years, your entire equity has been taken away by the NDP. So they're starting to realize the error in their ways. Uh, this is not a speculation tax. It's an asset tax. It's primarily directed at second homes, whether they be summer cabins or the condo. And it's not uncommon in our society that a, a family will reach a point where they say, well, we'd like to provide for our kids. And maybe if they're out of town, living out of town, or going to university or something, they'll buy a place for them to live, and then they, the young part of the family moves on, and the uh, condo or cabin or whatever it is is not fully occupied. Well, the NDP are saying unless it's on long-term rentals, then it's going to be taxed. So there are going to be tens of thousands of British Columbians getting very large tax bills about a year from now, we're going to say, I have nothing to do with speculation. What on earth are you doing trying to take away my assets? Yeah. Uh, Carol James has hinted pretty broadly that she's going to make some tweaks or some changes here. Uh, assuming a speculation tax holds pat, uh, what? how would you like to see it more refined or targeted in order to address the actual problem, which is property speculators? 
Yeah, the problem with property speculation is it's only crystallized at the point where they sell the property. Canada already has capital gains tax. It's administered federally. So what the province has done is said, well, if we want to go after speculation, we're going to go after, first of all, people who own property and don't currently occupy it. So if you make retirement plans and you haven't yet sold your house and you own another house, you're going to have 2% of the value charged against you next year. So the challenge here is the NDP have taken a great big broad uh, mallet to knock out a fly. And they're doing it in a very crude way and dressing it up as a speculation tax. And the real concern that has come out is they keep changing the rules of the game on the fly. That's not how you make tax policy. People need certainty or they stop investing. And we've seen that already in Parksville. A $30 million project has been canceled because they say they can't deal with this NDP tax regime. There's another project at Radium Hot Springs, which isn't even in the tax zone, which is at risk of cancellation because the investors and uh, temporary accommodators there would be Albertans. They come from Calgary. They want to have a place at Radium to go and uh, spend their summer times. That's a completely legitimate use of property. And those investors are saying, I don't trust the NDP. I mean, it doesn't apply to the Kootenays right now, but if you're a big, fat target like an Albertan, why wouldn't the NDP come along later? That's another big project that's at risk. The NDP don't understand that if you introduce an NDP tax, then people get scared they're going to expand it because as one of the uh, people we spoke to said, they've never seen the NDP reduce a tax. <laughs> All right. Uh, real quick, because we're almost out of time here, Andrew. What would you do uh, in order to solve the housing crisis? Are we gonna people are quick to say, hey, uh, the previous Liberal government was in charge of this thing for 16 years. They did nothing but balloon. If you were going to become Premier, how would you solve this housing crisis? What initiative would you take? Real quick. You know, when I moved to Kalamps, there were 1.6 million people in B.C. They're now 4.8. We're going to have another million people in British Columbia, and we better find the housing for them. We need to massively increase supply. That will have a uh, result of moderating uh, the prices because if there's a lot of supply on the market, then the prices will moderate. We've got to find ways for people to have the money in their pocket to be able to afford the housing. And if there's a chance to get the speculators, let's get out with capital gains tax. This idea of just taxing everybody's assets makes no sense whatsoever. It's not a speculation tax. It's an asset tax. All right. Not fair game. Andrew, always appreciate the time. Thank you for sharing some of yours with us this morning. Great chatting with you, Shane. All the very best. You too. Uh, BC Liberal Party leader Andrew Wilkinson. We'll take a quick break here on Inside Politics. On the other side, we'll be joined by the BC Green Party leader, Andrew Weaver. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. For Kamloops Computer Center. You're listening to Inside Politics on Radio NL. Once again, here's Shane Woodford. Good morning. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for tuning in. Real pleasure to be joined on the phone by the leader of the BC Green Party, Andrew Weaver. Andrew, how are you? Very well. Thanks for having me on, Fred. Well, hey, thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, as you and I were talking just off the air moments ago, it has never been busier in provincial politics. It just seems like it's one thing after another, day after day after day. Uh, the latest and uh, an issue I want to dive into into uh, with you about is the, the speculation tax. I know you're not a big fan of how this thing has rolled out. Uh, give me the skinny. What has you so upset about the speculation tax? Well, you know, we waited a long time for uh, the BCNDP through their promises to actually bring in measures to, to, to deal with 
some of the shenanigans that are that are uh, going on in terms of uh, offshore money coming into particularly Vancouver and to a lesser extent other jurisdictions, but mainly Vancouver housing market. And they promised we'd be seeing bold measures. Well, we put out what we were trying to see, bold action plan, and then what we got was a kind of tepid action plan, plan that they hadn't actually thought through. And so they've introduced one of their measures. Everything else they're studying, it seems. But one of their measures is, is the speculation tax. Now, it's actually not a speculation tax. Uh, what it is is a paper wealth tax designed to be broadly applied to the Nanaimo Regional District, Kelowna area, uh, the Greater Vancouver area, Fraser Valley area, as well as the Greater Victoria area. What it, what it does is it basically says you will, you will uh, uh, if you're not – living in the house or renting it out, you will pay uh, 2% of the assessed value of that house every year as a speculation tax. So, you know, you might think, okay, I get it. There's somebody sitting in an office tower in Luxembourg who's holding five properties, and we want them to rent it. So uh, let's kind of make sure they pay the social costs. But it actually applies to everyone, despite the fact that both the premier and the finance minister said it was not going to apply to British Columbia. Now, I could go on and on about horror stories, but here's just a couple. Let's take a little island in the Nanaimo Regional District, something like Mudge Island. No ferry access, really no long-term residence there. Uh, and there's another island right next to it that has no power or water. So, but they're in the Nanaimo Regional District. So someone owns a home there, uh, you know, a summer cottage there. Now they're going to have to pay a speculation tax. There's no rental market on the island because nobody lives there apart from the summer vacation area. Same in Cultus Lake. Same thing in, like in Kelowna. You have uh, uh, Kelowna's very, you know, part of their economy and uh, certainly uh, student housing is largely driven uh, by the importance of a rental market. So what happens for students is that we have a lot of properties in Kelowna that are, that are owned by people who will spend the summer in their properties, if it's a condo, for example, or they might, you know, vac- uh, rent it out uh, for a vacation rental. But in the, in the winter, they rent it to students. Now, if the students don't have access to that housing, they're, they're already at a half percent vacancy rate pretty soon. They, there's nowhere to live. So you're going to tax these people as if it's speculation. It's not speculation. Yeah. So, so, so really what this is is a botched-up attempt to try to deal, with the, to deal with a problem that they're actually not dealing with. So we've been pressuring them to say, what is the outcome you're looking for? Uh, which is why we proposed a ban on foreign purchases, offshore purchases, of property in British Columbia, because we know that that is what the problem is. The problem is not, you know, somebody in Alberta having a, having a house in Kelowna that they come to every summer because they, they want to enjoy Okanagan Lake. The problem is not somebody in, in, in Victoria who has a uh, cottage on Gulf Island. The problem is that there are people, there's seven and a half billion people in the world, and they're using our capital, our real estate, as a place to park their capital. And that is what we need to deal with. So, so we're, we're very disappointed with the way they brought it out. And what's even worse is that they have not thought it through. So on day one, they say it's not going to apply to British Columbians, that an information bulletin comes out and says it is, and you're going to get a tax credit. Well, that, like, we go into that, but that's <laughs> outrageous as well. And then they could come out again in a press conference two days ago and say it's not. And then it turns out they actually are again. But, you know, the only message the market gets is it's going to be total chaos. So, so you can tell we're quite frustrated about this. Yeah, I think this is going to be an issue that, uh, that is going to exceed the payroll health tax as far as a, a major thorn in the side of this government. Uh, because you're right, it was designed to, as I recall, prior to the budget to uh, deal with what was termed as an out-of-control housing market and, uh, and property speculators. And it's caught up in its net a whole bunch of people that don't have anything to do with that problem. Uh, so, uh, and excluding those who are part of the problem. Yeah, uh, here's, here's, here's the issue, you know, Shane. 
we know that people, like, first of all, it also helps the wealthy because the only people who could actually claim the tax credit are those who, like, if you had a million-dollar home somewhere, you, you'd, you'd literally have to get a $20,000 a year tax credit. Yeah. You're going to earn $200,000 a year to be able to use that tax credit. So it's, it's, uh, so what the problem here, they did not close the bear trust loophole. We know that people are avoiding property tax. People are parking capital in, in there. They promised to do that. They're now studying it. We know they're not clamping down on foreign investment. You can still buy a home and flip it four times and pay no, not, uh, you know, no kind of speculation tax on there. They didn't actually deal with speculation. They yeah. dealt with you know, uh, uh, kind of a form of a vacancy tax that, that, that really is a paper wealth tax. Okay, so how do we deal with it? I know you want the, the foreign buyers banned. The Premier has been adamant on that point that that is not going to happen. Uh, so how do we finitely tune this thing so it actually captures uh, the speculators that it needs to capture while excluding these other people? Well, rule number one, B.C. citizens need to be exempt. We, we do have time to fix this because we know that it's, it's uh, not going to, uh, that needs legislation will have happen to be, what has to be brought forward in the fall of, of this year. So there's time to fix it. So it should, you know, exclude B.C. residents. It should target the problem. The problem is vacant condos in downtown Vancouver. Let, you know, why, why are you viewing this as a, if you're going to do it as an empty, as a vacancy tax, allow municipalities to actually impose the tax if they believe it's a problem. We know Vancouver has the ability to impose a vacancy tax, and they're doing it. Victoria would like that ability, but they don't have the ability. So why not allow all municipalities, all local governments, to actually bring in a vacancy tax that, to if it actually is required by them? They know what the problems are locally. Government didn't consult with communities. They just came across with a broad-brush speculation tax without actually dealing with speculation. So there's a number of ways you could deal with the flipping. You could deal with the, 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 the bear trust loophole and, and ensure that you're actually uh, uh, taxing the transfer of beneficial ownership in a property, not just the transfer of, of title like they do in Ontario. So there's a number of ways that they could fix this by the fall, and, and so you can bet we're going to uh, uh, push them in this direction because as it stands, there's just no way we could support them. Well, let's talk about that because by the nature of your relationship with the NDP, you do have some muscle here if you choose to flex it. Yep. I mean, are you going to flex the muscle and say, listen, we're drawing a line in the sand. Uh, if you want this relationship to continue, this is what we want to see done. So we, we don't, I mean, we don't like to, you know, every day pick up, you know, threaten government to fall all the day, because that also actually creates uh, uncertainty in the market. What we're saying is that we want this fixed. Uh, we know the B.C. Liberals want this fixed. We look forward to working with the B.C. Liberals and the B.C. NDP to ensure that it's fixed. All three parties recognize that there is a, there's a, a speculative aspect that's out of control in the Vancouver market, and some of the, some of the spin-off is happening in Nanaimo, uh, to a lesser extent Kelowna, uh, but certainly Victoria is huge. Uh, we need to deal with that. So, so rather than, you know, uh, right, uh, there's no reason why, you know, the NDP can't uh, uh, recognize that there's problems here and open, open up to conversations with both the Liberals and us, because we all have ideas, and there are experts out there who have, ide- who, who have ideas. So that, that's our approach. It's not, not about saying threatening, you know, this, that, the other. It's about saying, you know there's a problem, we know there's a problem, the Liberals know there's a problem. We all agree that the problem is not being solved by, or, or the opposition all agree the problem is not being solved by your measure. You haven't even told us what outcome you want from, your, from this speculation tax. Let's fix it so we deal with the problem. All right. Uh, we're almost out of time here, but I do want to squeeze in this question. Uh, the ongoing pipeline battle between uh, this province and the one next door, 
Uh, who would have thought there'd be two NDP governments going to battle with each other as, as, in such a fashion that they are now? But um, we had what I thought was some kind of a truce. And then yesterday in the throne speech, Alberta Premier Rachel Notley uh, basically uh, uttering sort of a, a modern-day rendition of uh, let those Western bastards freeze by threatening to, <laughs> uh, threatening to turn off the taps. Uh, what was your sort of sense of, of, of that threat? Well, well, it, it's she has an election coming up in a year, and she's, you know, basically playing politics as far as I can tell with Jason Kenney there in election campaign. Uh, the reality is uh, nobody wins when we start acting, behaving this way, uh, you know, threatening to cut off something. Uh, uh, so the real, uh, so and also, you know. <laughs> All BC has to do is say, well, we're not going to give you our liquids from the from the Montney field there, so you're not going to be able to transport your, you're not going to be able to mix them with your your bitumen to create diluted bitumen. So you're going to also have problems actually shipping your stuff to to America. So it, it just goes to and from. Besides, we have large refineries right next door in Washington. There, there, the people have uh, contracted out. Uh, uh, a supply uh, out left, right, and center. It might p- provide the impetus for actually to build a refinery in British Columbia, and f- and certainly it'll provide the impetus for us to electrify uh, our vehicular sector, as is happening uh, already in Victoria to a lesser extent elsewhere. But with new technology, uh, you know, I think that um, as, as do Shell and other jurisdictions, that the day of requiring oil for transportation sector, those days are, not, are, are 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 coming to an end. Would you back a refinery in this province? Well, you know, I, we've we've always said we we've always said the thing that we do not will never accept is diluted bitumen in our coastal waters, increasing that supply. It's just nobody needs that stuff. Uh, so if they want to if they want to bring out you know refine some stuff up in Alberta, well, you know, fill your boots if that's what you want to do because people need at this stage they need oil, they need gas, uh, they need uh, jet fuel. That's what they need. They don't need diluted bitumen. So, so if you if you're there in uh, if you're if you're out upgrading in Alberta or you know maybe you want to upgrade in Prince George, there is some capacity there. Um, you know, let's let's do that, but let's not talk about shipping diluted bitumen. It's a non-starter for British Columbia. Most British Columbians, particularly those on the west coast here, who who recognize that, uh, you know, there, there's tragedies with spills of all types of fuels, but diluted bitumen is just it would be a devastation to the BC economy, to the tourism, to the branding of this city, to the branding of our province, frankly. And, 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 and that is what, and we're not talking about a small increase. We're talking about a 20-fold increase in the number of tankers that have been going there in the last three or four years. 28-fold increase. That's not sustain. That's not uh, in anyone's interest. And, 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 and frankly, um, I think everybody knows that here. Okay, I always uh, wish we had more time to chat, Andrew. Appreciate the time we did have, and, and thank you for giving us a shout. Pleasure, thank you. There we go, BC Green Party leader Andrew Weaver. We'll continue with more on Inside Politics right after this. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. Keeping you informed from both sides. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Radio NL's Inside Politics with Shane Woodford. Good morning. Welcome back to Inside Politics. Real pleasure to be joined by a friend of the program, University of the Fraser Valley political science professor Hamish Telford. Hamish, how are you? Very well, thank you, Shane. It's been a long time. Uh, I'm really curious to kind of get your take on the political situation because uh, we haven't had a chance to touch base in a while. But I guess first, sort of a big omnibus question. Uh, we uh, watched the sort of formation of this government uh, with with a lot of kind of speculation how it would play out. And here we are. Uh, we're months and months into this thing. And the B.C. Green Party and uh, NDP alliance uh, seems to be kind of alive and well. Uh, we just had a budget a few weeks ago to survive that. So just kind of a bigger question first. Uh, your assessment of this this alliance and this government uh, as they've kind of stepped into this thing now they're four or five months on the job. I think there's 
starting to find their groove. Uh, obviously, it took some time to come together. We, uh, we had to, to go through the process of, of Christy Clark testing her confidence in the legislature and not getting it. And then we all watched the lieutenant governor uh, make the decision to ask Mr. Horgan to form a government. Uh, and then they had to sort of quickly uh, pull together a throne speech and a budget in September. And that was really just a carryover from, from the previous government. And then they had a legislative process to go through uh, in the fall. But it seems to me uh, that they, they did a lot of homework uh, over Christmas and into January. Uh, and now we're starting to see this new government really come into its own. Uh, there have been hiccups along the way. Um, John Horgan went off to Asia and in part was promoting the LNG industry. And Andrew Weaver was back in Victoria threatening to pull the government down if, if uh the NDP was going to be promoting the LNG industry. Um, that all seems to have passed. Obviously, they had conversations and, and either agreed to disagree or put it on the back burner and deal with it uh, later. Because they brought in a throne speech that made nary a mention of it, and and now the budget. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. They are they are they're working it out, and um, it's it's uh, it looks like it's going to last a while. What's your sort of assessment of the relationship between the Green Party and the NDP? I know you touched on it a little bit there, but uh, there have been instances, uh, one you've already mentioned and others, uh, including one this week, uh, this one around the speculation tax, where we see sort of a familiar ritual play out. Andrew Weaver and uh, his MLAs uh, wax poetic about how terrible this thing is. Uh, and then ultimately, when it come, push comes to shove, uh, they're not going to pull down the government over it, and then we all carry on our merry way. Uh, should they be flexing more muscle, in your opinion, or, or is this how you think things should play out? Uh, I think this is more or less how things should should play out. The the Greens have raised objections on other issues, and, and the NDP seems to have modified uh, their ways. Take, for example, the $10 a day daycare. That was not uh, forthcoming in the budget. Uh, they were pursuing a different model, which was more along the lines of, of the Green Plan. Uh, on the speculation tax, you know, Andrew Weaver wanted a 30% uh, foreign buyer's tax across the province. The NDP has responded with a 20% uh, tax uh, in select areas outside the, the lower mainland. So the NDP seems to be listening uh, to Green concerns and, and modifying their own election uh, promises uh, accordingly. Um, sometimes, for my liking, these controversies and disputes between the two are perhaps a little too public. I think that it probably drives in John Horgan uh, crazy when he when he hears about Andrew Weaver's concerns in in the media, uh, and would probably prefer to work these things out uh, privately. Um, but Andrew Weaver is obviously going public to try and increase his leverage, and so far that seems to be working. But this this is sort of the challenge in in minority governments or coalition governments. Um, it works for a while um, until an issue is, is, comes up where the disagreements can't be patched over. Mm. Uh, do you see anything forming like that currently, or, or no? Uh, not at the moment, but as, as I've said to you in the past, I, I still view the uh, supposed referendum on electoral form to be a real key turning point. Mm. Um, the, the government is still uh, finalizing its plans on that. We should have a sense later in the spring of where the NDP wants to go uh, with that, and, and we'll see if it meets with the Greens' uh, liking. Um, but then there's going to be the execution of the referendum, and uh, if it fails, um, then I think we could see the Greens uh, be 
much tougher on the government. That the Greens really need electoral reform, and I think that they will hang in uh, as long as they can uh, to see that come to pass. But if it doesn't come to pass, I think all bets are off. Uh, the NDP government, uh, of course, tabling its provincial budget a few weeks back, uh, some of the things that sort of seem to have an enduring fallout are the payroll health tax, which is the sort of surprise replacement for the MSP. There's been a bit of a firestorm around that. Uh, the other thing we've already touched on a little bit is the speculation tax, uh, ultimately aimed prior to the budget at uh, taming an out-of-control housing market and uh, targeting speculators who are rapidly flipping homes and driving up prices. However, it seems to now, in its formation, have ensnared uh, people who own vacation properties or second homes who seem to be sort of innocuous outside this housing crisis debate, uh, and, and, and that has created a bit of a problem. Uh, just on those two taxes, either of those, uh, are, are those an issue for the NDP government that they're going to have to uh, really do some damage control on in your mind, Hamish, or no? Uh, I think on the um, payroll tax, that was a big surprise. Nobody saw that coming. Of course, when you're eliminating MSP premiums, you've got to make the revenue up somewhere. And it seems to me that the, the government perhaps jumped the gun. They, they had a commission studying this, and the NDP came to a conclusion before the commission had really finished its work. Uh, and uh, they've, they've saddled businesses um, and or- other organizations with this, this new tax. And it's, it's perhaps a tax that's going to hit a constituency that doesn't look favorably upon the, the NDP, the small, medium-sized businesses in particular, medium-sized businesses, since a lot of small businesses will be exempt. Um, you know, that's perhaps a constituency the NDP should have been looking to win over. The NDP still, of course, has a minority government, and their, their room for growth is quite limited um, unless they can win over some new constituencies and hitting this sector of the economy with this tax is not the way to win over uh, new friends. So um, whether it will do them sort of damage is not clear to me, but it doesn't help them uh, get to majority territory. The speculation tax, and but just to finish off my thought, I don't see them reversing that or modifying that. I think they're, they're, they're going to go through with it. The speculation tax, I think, is another matter. It seems to be uh, a broad-based tax, which is whacking a lot of people who aren't speculators, as you say, uh, individuals and families that have owned vacation properties uh, in BC for for a long time, and and you know come here frequently, spend a lot of time at their properties, and contribute uh, to the local economy through their spending and their property taxes and so forth, and are now getting hit with uh, what could be quite large uh, new taxes and quite possibly unsustainable taxes. And and so I suspect that there will be a lot of pressure on the government to modify that, make it more targeted on on foreign speculators. And if the government doesn't budge, I, I would I would envision um, uh, court cases coming up on on that that this is perhaps uh, an infringement of, of of mobility rights for Canadian citizens. And, uh, and 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 we'll see where the courts take it if that's where it ends up. Yeah, I'd actually tend to agree with you. I think the speculation tax is by far the more problematic of the two. My gut sense tells me that the health payroll tax will sort of sort itself out, and you know, by 2020 and 2021, we'll have long forgotten about that particular controversy. Uh, Hamish, I mean, it's kind of a crazy time to be alive. Who would have thought that Alberta and B.C. would both have NDP governments, and then those two governments would promptly go to war with each other uh, over the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline? Uh, what are your thoughts as you watch Rachel Notley and John Horgan uh, do battle on this thing? 
You're absolutely right. You know, the NDP have two governments in Canada, and they're barely on speaking terms. So it just goes to show, first off, that that ideology uh, doesn't trump everything, right? Um, What we've got in this case are provincial interests trumping ideology and party affiliation and party relationships. Alberta has a commodity that they need to get to market and, and are suffering depressed prices for their oil and bitumen because, because they can't get it to, to market. Uh, and BC government that is quite adamant about protecting uh, its envir- uh, coastal environments, right? You know, and you think about the NDP, they've always had a strong environmentalist wing. The NDP support bases are all along the coasts. Uh, this is really fundamental to their political interests. Um, so it's, it's quite astonishing to, to see this battle taking place. And it looked like um, things had sort of, we'd had a ceasefire a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the NDP had pulled out this proposal to limit bitumen uh, deliveries through our, our exports out of B.C. Um, Rachel Notley hit us with the wine ban. B.C.'s backed off and said, no, we'll let the courts figure out if we're allowed to do this or not. Rachel Notley said, okay, you blinked. I'm lifting the wine ban. And then this announcement in the throne speech yesterday comes out of the blue, suggesting they're going to whack us even harder uh, than they were before. I think our government was probably seriously taken aback by this. Um, But I think the announcement speaks more to Alberta politics than it does about B.C.-Alberta relationship. Of course, we had Jason Kenney touring through B.C. last week, saying he would do precisely this if he ever forms a government. And I think Rachel Notley needed to show Alberta voters that she can be just as tough as Jason Kenney. And, uh, and, and in fact, she's got the sort of the Trump hand, right? She is the government. She can put this in a throne speech and make it sound very legitimate, as opposed to uh, an opposition leader who's just giving media interviews. But I would suggest that what Alberta is proposing would be a blatant violation of the new West Partnership Agreement signed between B.C., Alberta, and Saskatchewan. I think it's also a blatant violation of the Canadian Free Trade Agreement that was signed and brought into effect last year. So if Alberta ever acted on it, um, I think uh, B.C. would have a good case to make through the courts to, to try and reverse it. However, that could take years, and in the meantime, oil uh, flow could be reduced and gas prices could be considerably higher here, which would have a real serious impact on on, on British Columbians and on the BC economy. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Hamish, always a pleasure. Uh, we're out of time, but thank you, sir, for coming on and uh, sharing your thoughts and your insight. Thank you, Shane. Good to be with you. And that's uh, political science professor at the University of Fraser Valley, Hamish Telford. Always a pleasure to talk to Hamish. That's it for this week's edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to my guests and thank you for tuning in and listening. We'll see you again right here on Radio NL next week. The Valley's first choice for local news. CHNL 610 AM in Kamloops and streaming online at RadioNL.com.